He smashed pretty much every billboard and streaming record that matters. It has already been streamed more than a billion times. Billion. People still to this day point to, this is the moment everything changed. But whether you agree with those claims or not, this podcast isn't really about him. Either you're not an astute businessman or you're inherently racist when it comes to black music in this country. This is not a Drake podcast. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hello, I'm Martine Saint-Victor. And I'm Isabelle Rassicou, and this is Seat at the Table. And this season, we're focusing on the power of the Black Lives Matter movement, the urgency of this moment, and how to move forward. You may not expect this show to have an episode about hockey, but <laughs> Merry Christmas. Today's episode is about hockey. Um, hockey is a big part of our lives, Isabel. Absolutely. Uh, I grew up in an arena. Grew up in an arena. We both have brothers who played yeah. at various levels. And little known fact, my mom had signed me for ballet as a kid. Mm-hmm. And after like one class, the, the teacher te- didn't the teacher, watch you anymore. The teacher said, <laughs> I don't know about ballet. How about hockey? <laughs> so it's, You're so graceful. <laughs> yeah. So we'll do, an, we'll do an episode about my flexibility and grace another time. <laughs> Uh, but we love hockey. We're part of this. It's part of the fabric of this country. And it's because we love it that we wanted to examine it more because it doesn't reflect Canada. It doesn't look like, like the social making uh, of Canada. And so this is what we're going to talk about today, the lack of diversity in hockey. When you're you know, a young minority playing the game and it's predominantly a white sport, I mean, you're not going to turn to anybody, right? Everybody around you is white. Your teammates are white. Your coaches are white. So they probably wouldn't understand what you're going through at the moment. You just heard NHL player Anthony Duclair, who spoke to us about what it's like to be a black hockey player in a league that's 95% white. And we also speak to journalist Salim Valji about the broader issue of racism in hockey and why the NHL just can't seem to say those three words, Black Lives Matter. Just say it, NHL, you can do it. Martine, I don't know how you feel about being back for a second season, but to be honest, I, I'm a bit scared. I, I mean, I get it. I, I, I get where you're coming from. I, there is this malaise to be talking about such a sensitive topic, number one. And number two, because... It's very polarizing. It's polarizing. And also, there is the malaise also comes from the fact that, you know, we are going to talk about injustice and inequality And I know that whatever it is that I've been through doesn't even compare to what others have been through. So I'm aware of that place of privilege, which doesn't make me more insensitive. But, um, you know, we've become, although we say it all the time, the black community is not monolith. We're not speaking for the black community. Our experiences are very personal, very personal and unique. But there are other experiences that are very difficult to reckon with. And so this is why I, we're offering this space and we're going to have different people with different perspective. But also, you know, one of the things we're going to do this season is continue to have these vulnerable conversations. And for you and I, about those uncomfortable conversations start in the meetings because we have Uh, a producer that pushes us really to the limit and because she's part of a younger generation mm-hmm. her take is more hands-on and so you and I are stuck between 
the generation of our producer and that of our parents who never complained about racism because yeah. that generation never did. And it's not because they didn't experience racism. Au contraire, they did. Because can you imagine arriving to Canada in the 1960s? Yeah. Even, Weren't you the first born in a hospital near Trois-Rivières? Yeah, I was the first black kid born in, in this hospital in, in, in Trois-Rivières. But so we're, we're, you and I are in between both. Like yeah, this, this generation who just powered through and said, well, it is what it is. And we're going through it. So our kids won't have to go through it. Except surprise, we did go through it, but not, a, not as bad. And then you have the younger generation who's like, okay, well, thanks for leading the way. We'll take it from here because <laughs> your way clearly hasn't been the best way. And so this is And what, you better follow us. Yeah, you better. So this is the tangle we're in. So yeah. I, I, I get your malaise. I share it too. But I think it's more than that. I'm also thinking on a personal level how when you say racism, it's very polarizing. Some people often get on the defensive and they get aggressive. And I'm one of the few persons of color who has had a steady job in Quebec. In the media. In the media for the last 20 years. And, you know, I've never had a scandal, never pushed the boundaries too much. You know, I've no just, scandal yet. No, this but, might be it. This might be your scandal. But, this what season. but I know. And that's why I'm scared, because I don't know if they're going to see me differently, because I will point out things that are sensitive issues mm -hmm. and that we're not coming from the same place. Mm -hmm. I guess you'll find out soon enough. I feel no compassion from you, but that's fine. But I have, that said, I have I, I have I have compassion for you, and, and I hear you. You know, I share I share some of that anxiety even because it we're opening ourselves up to to well, first criticism, yeah. which which newsflash will get, but also to showing a different side. And the thing is. You know, we've repressed a lot of things because sometimes you're just you you have to pick your battles. And sometimes you're just like, okay, that comment that I heard, I'm going to suck it up because I'm looking at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm, and, exactly. I know, and I know what I want out of this situation. I'm going to power through. And we've done this for so long that, you know, sometimes we, we do it, first of all, for self-preservation, because you can't break down every time something doesn't go your way because you suspect when you suspect it's because of the color of your skin. Everybody has that, this armure. So. Um, but I, I'm right by your side. Um, mm, I know. And if your career crashes after this, I will find something <laughs> else for you to do. Thank you. But we're making jokes. But you know what? I wouldn't have been able to do this series 10 years ago. I mm -hmm. was way too concerned about my career. Now, I, you know, of course. it's been a bonus for the last five years in, in my <laughs> mind, you know. And if it stops now... I will have had an amazing 20-year career. Like, I don't care. I don't think it's going to stop, tell you honestly. But you know what? Mm -hmm. I realize that uh, in some way, I understand how the Black hockey players are feeling right now. Of course, because there is this question of job security. Not every player has a locked-in seven-year contract or, you know, contracts with big brands who can make sure there's butter on that bread. And so it is taking a risk. But at one point, you have to say, okay, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? And so actually, I might be right behind you in the unemployment line, <laughs> to be honest. So, and, but, and then hopefully we can call, call in Kaepernick and ask him yeah, how he's feeling. Yes. Because remember, he was the last episode yeah. uh, that we did on season uh, one. Three where years ago. Where we talked about the backlash he was facing for kneeling down during the national anthem. And at the time, he was already persona non grata mm -hmm. uh, in the NFL. And a lot of Americans were really against him. And I remember... 
what you said. What did I say? Three years ago, you said, I believe that history is going to be kinder (laughs) to Kaepernick. And you even compared him to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. We're not there yet. (laughs) We're not there because obviously Muhammad Ali, it took a long time for for people to recognize the power of Muhammad Ali's uh, stance. And with Kaepernick, he, you know, I think he was part of a culture war that was beyond him. And uh, he was very polarizing. He He's less so today. I mean, when Nike signed him last year, people burned their Nike gear in protest of Nike. But also... But look at what happened since... Yes. Since then, I mean, a so, lot of players now are kneeling. And and not only in football. And you have also in the media, you've seen a switch of how, you know, the story of Kaepernick is framed. And so that's a good barometer to see the evolution that's happened today with the upheaval of the, the Black Lives Matter movement. This is exactly what the movement is about. And so we want to talk about the fact that it took the NHL so long hmm. before actually saying something about the Black Lives Matter movement. And saying something, but in a very timid matter. Yeah. Meaning other leagues have, you know, the NHL, the NFL, Major League Soccer, the NBA. I mean, the Raptors arrived uh, to their to their training camp in a bus that said Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Now, the NHL has refused to say these words. They, you know, they, they use tweets like, uh, skating for Black Lives, or they they project and racism on the jumbotrons, and they've retweeted players who have you know who have supported the movement. But as an as a league, as an organization, they have refused to say these three words: Black Lives Matter. Now, why is that? And I remember on the phone call a couple of days ago, you said, ah, two black girls talking about racism and hockey. I wonder how that's going to go down. Yeah, that's going to go down. <laughs> hey, we shall see. So today we will tackle so, that taboo that is racism yes. in the NHL. So the address is seat at cbc.ca. <laughs> if you have complaints. If you have complaints. You address them to Martine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk to journalist Salim Nedzim Valji. I love him. I, I follow him. I know. On t- I follow him on Twitter. He has opened my eyes. His beat is diversity in hockey. And he's done great pieces in the New York Times. And we're very lucky to speak to him today. All right. Well, hey, Salim. Welcome to Seat at the Table. Thanks very much, Isabel. Thanks very much, Martine. Happy to be here. So, Salim, let's start with your personal relationship with hockey. So I grew up in in Edmonton. Uh, my family's from Uganda and uh, Kenya. So uh, I was part of that first generation of grandkids that was born in Canada. And, you know, growing up in Edmonton, Edmonton uh, isn't really a city that has a ton going on for it, aside from hockey. Uh, I live in Montreal <laughs> now, and there are lots of different things to do in Montreal. In Edmonton, it's a bit different. And growing up, I really wanted to work as a sports journalist. And I think when I was six or seven years old, I wrote uh, stuff in my school agenda that I wanted to do that. So mm-hmm. it really was the Edmonton Oilers and wanting to be a part of that hockey culture. And you see the the grandeur of hockey night in Canada. And as a kid, you want to be a part of it. You know that you're probably not going to get there as a player, but you do want to be involved. And then also it's uh, it's a way to meet people, to make friends. And you feel as though it becomes a pretty big part of your identity. It's not mm-hmm. just a sport. It's, it's something that represents uh, 
things far beyond the playing surface. So that's my relationship with it. It's like a family. I grew up in an arena because both my brothers were playing hockey. And I remember, like, I was excited to just hang out in the arena, eat my fries and watch the good looking guys play hockey. I mean, I that's what was that too much info? No, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> but but that said, like it was part of our lives. Of course, yeah, same here. My brother played. Yeah. Um in in little league. I guess it's not little league because it's not baseball, but in, in <laughs> and so she, she doesn't know the terms, but <laughs> yes. But 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 wait, put us in time a little bit, uh Salim. You said you grew up in Edmonton, the Oilers were your team. Are we talking Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier? Is that who we're talking about? No, I was I was unlucky. I was born in 1992, so I was, uh, you know, I remember as a kid, I, I worked for, one of my, my best memories is I worked as a bus boy at a restaurant in West Edmonton Mall, which at one point was the world's biggest shopping mall, and it was Edmonton's claim to fame. Uh, and I was a bus boy over there, and I worked really hard so I could get uh, enough money to buy tickets to six Oilers games. And I got to go with my grandpa one time, and, and it was really cool. So you're, you're involved in that way. Um for me, 2006, when we made the Stanley Cup finals and uh, Fernando Pisani scoring the, the game winner in overtime shorthanded, uh, that, that to me is probably the peak of my <laughs> fandom. You know, it's something you're a part of and it's something really cool at the end of the day. It's this shared bond where, you know, I'm a dark-skinned kid whose parents are from East Africa and um, one of my best friends in the world is a Ukrainian guy who's, who's you know, a sixth or seventh generation Canadian and his... his uh, family came here long before mine did and yet we have that link and mm -hmm. it, it's a lot more like you said it's just it's a lot more than a sports but there are uh ugly sides to it for sure and and you you say salim that your family's from east africa and and i find that hockey is is a little bit like that passport for immigrant um for children of, of immigrants even immigrants when they get here they know if they put their kids in hockey this is a way to be part of the social fabric of the country you know for example i have one of my cousins he's named after gilbert john i mean it's wow. his, yeah his, <laughs> so it's it, i mean i think i think it for immigrants it's a mm -hmm. way for for their kids to be integrated and really one of my favorite sites is seeing kids of different origins wearing um hockey jerseys and playing stick hockey in the street it's just i i don't know that there's anything more canadian than that but uh, you know what when isabel when i talk to to friends of ours that are black and you know that are in their 40s and 50s today and they started playing hockey when they were preteens and they'll tell you the locker room was often terrible my brother went through that too But we were in the 90s, mind you, but I have a particular family. I have a brother that's white, a brother that's black, both played hockey. One of them was witness and heard things, mm -hmm. and the other one was the victim of it and, you know, had to also be protected because, you know, he would hear the N-word so often screamed at him on on, on the ice yeah. ring. You've mentioned in your, and, and you know, Salim, I, I'm a fan of yours. I, I follow you on Twitter. I've Your articles in the New York Times have educated me about the behind the scenes of hockey. And so why do you find, I mean, we've seen other leagues like the NBA, the the NFL, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball being so outspoken um, and so supportive of the Black Lives Matter. Why has the NHL been so timid? I think there's a couple of big reasons. Number one, you look at what it takes to make the National Hockey League. Someone a while ago tweeted this and I, I wish I'd saved the tweet, but it basically said if Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby came from 
an average Canadian family. An average, I don't know what the mean Canadian income per household is. I, I imagine it's in the sixty-five dollars to $70,000 a year uh, bracket. bracket. But mm-hmm. if, if they came from that modest of means, would they, and they had the same talent, would they have made the National Hockey League? And it's a pretty profound tweet if you, if you think about it because mm-hmm. both Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby went to prep schools before they started mm-hmm. their junior careers uh, Connor went to Blythe Academy, whose tuition I think is in the $40,000 Canadian a year range. Yep. Sidney Crosby went to Shattuck St. Mary's, which is a, a very uh, famous prep school in Minnesota that's produced uh, many NHL players, Zach Parise among them. So you look at those two players, it takes a lot of family money and a lot of of things to go right for you to make the National Hockey League. You look at how much it costs just to register for the sport at the minor levels, the equipment, the add-ons, like having to wear a suit to the games and going to travel. And it very quickly becomes a a five-figure expense where it very easily uh, can cost a minimum of $10,000. And who has the ability to pay for that? It's, It's normally kids who are white. It's normally kids who come from money. 95% of National Hockey League players at this moment are white. So you have these this league that's almost entirely filled with these types of players. Are they have they ever seen oppression? Have they ever uh, experienced discrimination of any kind? Have they ever, you know, really had to grind or um, yeah. experience being in a household that that where you don't get everything you mm-hmm. want? Well, look at you... well look at Formula One and NASCAR. Sally, yeah. I mean, Formula One was unequivocal in its support of Black Lives Matter. Now, one could argue that it's because their number one driver is black, Mm -hmm. but that's one driver. And same with NASCAR. I mean, I'm sorry, is there a more racist sport than NASCAR? I guess hockey, but but (laughs) NASCAR as well. I mean, the the NASCAR symbol is the Confederate flag, and they were unequivocal in their support of the... the, So So what's your theory then? What I've noticed is that they've tipped their toe but they're not willing to make a move. So what we saw when the playoffs started is the NHL, you know, using the hashtag, we skate for black lives. And mm-hmm. doesn't that mean the same thing? No. And then Jumbotron's saying and racism, but they just won't say the words. What are some of the stories that you've heard, you know, behind the scenes that... Like in, in the front offices, yes. when, you, when you go, when you've, when you've tried to report on this, what type of reaction are you getting from managers, from PR people, etc.? I think it's changed a bit. It's gotten a bit better recently, but these PR staffs are almost entirely Caucasian. More recently in June, I reached out to all 31 teams and I said, I'm doing this reporting on, you know, the, the merits of having a Rooney rule in hockey mm-hmm. where uh, you have to interview a certain number of candidates that are not the majority. And again, I reached out to all 31 teams. Um, it's a great way to spend a summer evening, by the way. Those emails. <laughs> um, Good for the we, ego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think only, only a handful wrote back. The handful that wrote back told me to go to the National Hockey League and ask them. So, And no one gave me any concrete information. So there's still this idea that you know we don't want this information out. We want to control the narrative. And to me, why not be more open and say, look, here are our numbers. Here's what we're trying to get to by the year 2023. Yeah. But, you know, you said before that Sidney Crosby had you, you, you wondered, does, has he known oppression? Has he known uh, because he went to expensive prep schools? But uh, there are some white hockey players who have not hesitated in, in supporting the movement and, and the few black 
hockey players in the NHL have said, you know, we, we wish we would have more support from our white teammates. And I mean, there's, there are some white figures in sports like Coach K uh, from Duke University, who's a legend, who's been the coach since 1980. And he made a very powerful, you know, video saying, can't you say the words Black Lives Matter? So even mm-hmm. if Sidney Crosby hasn't known oppression, doesn't mean he can relate. Look at the NFL, all the white players who have who have taken a knee. So if Sidney Crosby were to do it... Well, if Sidney Crosby it would just said, says the word and doesn't do anything about it, what's the point of just hearing those three words? Because the words set a tone. It sets a tone. And you know what, what else sets a tone? When you don't say it. Trump won't say it. Mike Pence won't say it. But Salim, do you think that if, you know, Sidney Crosby just says those three words, things are going to get better? He, he would have to back it up. I think you're, Martin, you're right. You, if, if you say three words, it's great. Where are you doing? Are you in the community? Are you, are you reading different texts in Canada? Are you looking at uh, how Indigenous people were, were abhorrently treated in our history? Are you educating yourself? In the case of Sidney Crosby, he waited a very long time to say anything. He waited until it looked bad that he didn't say anything. And you look at the fact that these kids have posters of these players growing up. If Sidney yeah. Crosby tells them to eat mini wheats, mm-hmm. they will do it. If, uh, if Sidney Crosby tells them to train with CCM sticks, they will do it. And another factor to consider, which is important, is you look at the, the number of non-white NHL players is very low. But the number that have job stability is even lower. Mm-hmm. Players like JT Brown or Wayne Simmons, right. those guys are, are on one-year contracts. And you can understand that they, they make their livelihood out of this. They both could potentially not be in the league next year. So, But they, you know, took, the, it, they took the risk anyway. JT Brown raised his fist yeah. three years ago. You know, he when, did, and he, he paid a price for it too. Right. He got, he got um, traded internally. Yeah, he got traded and... There are a lot of people in hockey that were really not happy with him. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about symbols, you know, black saying, yeah. saying the words. Yeah. Um, the new Seattle team, Salim, has hired uh, Everett Fitzhug, who's the first black play-by-play announcer of the league. What does it mean? Does it is it more than just cosmetics? It seems like it. And that's where there's some cautious optimism, right? <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> there, there, were, there, were a few, there were a few E's on there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good. And credit to them. They're, they're trying to make diversity a, a hallmark of their organization. And they've had a few other hires that have been non-white. And, and that's great. Again, it, it's an interesting experiment because we won't ultimately know the results of this for a while. It'll probably be a handful of years before we... Yeah. can look back on the revolution of the NHL in 2020 and see if it was ultimately uh, there was any progress made on that timeline. When I look at my two sons, they started loving hockey when P.K. Subban became a Montreal Canadian. And they followed him and they had his jersey and they followed him in Nashville. And, and it's just they felt like a pride and they could see themselves in him. And when they, you know, I think that it does make a difference and you feel more included and you want to be more part of this, mm-hmm. which comes to my second point. I mean, aren't they losing money? Aren't they losing fans? Yeah, I think so. And, and you're right. A few players have told me that, you know, you, you would look into the stands, forget on the ice, look at look at the stands, look at a Maple Leafs game in the lower bowl. There, there are very few non-white fans. And you look at the Raptors, Nav Batia is super fan. He kind of symbolizes mm-hmm, them yeah. to a T. 
And they've the NBA and the Raptors have done a remarkable job of, of promoting that. So you're right. They do have to read the room better. They do have to implement, you know, cultural nights and they, in fairness, a couple of teams have started the, the San Jose Sharks have a seek night and mm-hmm. there are a couple of other teams that do similar, but you know, it's got to pick up. You're, you're the fourth North American pro sports. Right. You're, you're going to have to adapt or, or die almost, you know, the, the Darwinism. Mm-hmm. And, and Salim, you've done the legwork. This is diversity in hockey is your beat. Tomorrow you replace Gary Bettman. What are the first three things that you do to fix this problem in the NHL? Ooh, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, I think you you work with a with a well-rounded executive search team, and you you make sure that you have people of color in place in different organizations, so that number one, you're you're promoting diversity, but number two, if if players or staff have issues, they have a champion in your organizations. The second thing I'd say is uh, invest a lot more in grassroots programs. You look at a community like Montreal. Why don't the Habs have more of a presence in Montreal Nord? Why aren't they in in more uh, in Little Burgundy? These are opportunities mm-hmm. for you to grow your fan base. And then thirdly, and I don't know what the how if this would even be possible, but I would mandate players to educate themselves. I would implement programs, education programs, and and almost force them to go into different communities a couple of times a year and and educate themselves and immerse themselves whether it's schools whether it's putting on a clinic in a in a first nations community do those things do them a couple of times a year become more educated so Hopefully Gary uh, is listening to this right now because I know he's going to retire soon. So there you go. So you. there you have a chance. You have a chance. <laughs> You're up next. This is this is your moment, Salim. <laughs> you know you've you've done great work in in talking about diversity. Do you feel that there are more and more journalists in media that want to tackle racism in the NHL? Not in the least bit. And and again, I'm pretty vocal about this, but I think it's a it's a travesty that. That it took Akeem Alou to tweet in, in November 2019 for journalists finally to start covering issues in a sport that have uh, existed for, for a long time. You look at even uh, after Matt Dumba the other day raised his fist and he was by himself and this was the first game after his big speech. And not one Minnesota Wild uh, beat reporter asked him how he felt being the only person to raise his fist. Not one Minnesota Wild beat person asked his teammates why didn't you support your player in this? There's serious issues with how this is covered in the sport where you expect black players to and non-white players to, to be the spokespersons, but you're not posing these questions to Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. I think I was the only reporter that bothered to ask Sidney or Connor about this. And you look at, again, the makeup of hockey journalists. I counted on my first day in 2017 at the Habs um, golf tournament they had, and there mm-hmm. were 52 reporters, and I was one of three that wasn't white. So... These stories, our our industry and the Professional Hockey Writers Association has a lot of homework to do. Thank you so Salim, much. Thank you for this insight. Thanks a lot, Isabel. Thanks a lot, Martine. Uh, this is a fun chat. I got I got a lot off my chest. So thank you. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Thank you. We'll send <laughs> yeah, you the exactly. bill. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. How great was that? Yeah. That was Salim Nadim Valji, who's a journalist. You can catch him in the New York Times or like I do on Twitter. It must be quite an exciting thing, isn't it, to get into an NHL game for the Boston Bruins. What do you feel about it, uh, Willie? Anything unusual? No, it was the greatest thrill of my life, I believe. I'll always remember this. Isabel, in 1953, Willie Ory became the first black player in the NHL. 
And today, almost seven decades later, there are only 43 players of color in the in the league. That's 43 out of 700 players. <laughs> Can you imagine what it's like to be one of those 43? You're a unicorn. <laughs> Yeah, you can put it that way. But I'm so happy that we get to speak to one of them. His name is Anthony Duclair, and he's a forward for the Ottawa Senators. Yes, and he's known for his speed, his agility. He he was an all-star this year in 2020. And he's one of the founders of the New Hockey Diversity Alliance. And you know what they're trying to do, Martine, mm. right? They want to eradicate systemic racism in hockey. You know, something very simple. Yes, I see a Nobel Peace Prize in their, <laughs> in their near future. And Anthony Duclair is of Haitian origin, like yeah. you and I, Isabel. So already he had us at... Uh, hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Anthony. How are you? Good. How are you? So tell us, when did you fall in love with hockey, Anthony? I fell in love uh, at a very young age. I started skating when I was two. My dad uh, took me out in in, uh, in Montreal skating, and I just loved it. And, and then he, he saw how much I loved it, put me in hockey at the age of four. And uh, ever since I picked up a hockey stick, uh, I never looked back. Uh, I think I took the, the right path. How did your parents prepare you to be one of the few minorities? Because, you know, at the time you started, it was pl pretty clear there were very few people of color playing hockey, right? Yeah, for sure. I was always uh, the only one, if not, uh, we were maybe two black players uh, every year. So, I mean, there's been a few instances, uh, for sure, um, racial remarks. Um, it happened a couple times, uh, more when I was uh, at a younger age. Um, actually, one time, um, there was a couple of parents who, who told me the N-word and, and, and their kids followed up on the ice. So um, it has been a, a couple of tough times. But um, when you're you know, a young minority playing the game and it's predominantly a white sport, I mean, you're not going to turn to anybody, right? Everybody around you is white. Your teammates are white. Your coaches are white. So mm -hmm. um, they probably wouldn't understand what you're going through at the moment. So. Um, for myself, I, I decided just to keep it to myself and go along with the game, go along with my day. Um, it is a, a dark uh, spot to be in, uh, especially as a child. Um, I got a little brother who's 17 who's playing uh, who's playing hockey as well. He's gone through it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's countless other minority kids just keep on being pushed down and keep on being silenced. And you shouldn't you know, go through these things as a kid, especially when you're you're going to play hockey for fun, right? You know, as a kid, you're, you're going there to play fun. It's not a business. Mm -hmm, yeah. You're going there because, uh, you know, you just want to, you know, take your head out of uh, whatever's going on in your, in your social life and, um, you know, just step away and, and play the game that you love. You talk about your, your little brother who's 17 and what we've seen uh, here Uh, in Canada, for example, in Saint-Jérôme, in Quebec, we saw the fans are, 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 it's not only the culture of hockey on the ice, but it's also okay. the fans. And and we've heard stories from, from for example, P.K. Subban when he played in, in Boston. And there was an ESPN uh, journalist, Mike, Mike Wilbon, who said, you know, sometimes he didn't feel safe because of the fans. And do you have an, uh, a memory that sticks out about being, feeling a little bit unsafe because of fans? Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, this, uh, these racial remarks uh, to me personally um, happened mostly when I was uh, when I was a kid. When I when I grew older, uh, the people around me, um, I guess for some reason, saw, saw the level of respect and 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 it just stopped happening. Uh, I'm not saying that 
you know, racism doesn't happen in, in pro sports. I mean, it happened this year with my, my buddy, Boko Imama. He plays for uh, Ontario Reign. Mm-hmm. It's the affiliate team for the LA Kings. Um, if you could look up the story, he uh, he had a racial remarks actually happened this year. And, uh, and they only got suspended. I think it was like two or three games. So it was nothing. But, you know, it, it was shocking to me to see this at the pro level. But uh, back to being uh, about the fans. Um, yeah, I, I did feel like that when I was younger as well. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure my parents felt the same way being in the stands with, you know, just, uh, white parents, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it's something you, you live through, um, you, you, you educate yourself a little bit so you can educate others. And, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the hockey culture has to change. And, uh, I think we're, we're starting a little bit to see it this summer. On the website of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, uh, your mission statement says that you want to make hockey accessible and safe for everyone. And I have to tell you, Anthony, when I read, I, I read it, I got stuck on the word safe and, and how unsafe it is for, for players of color. And I know that Akeem Aliyu, for example, has written about his own experience and it became actually physical. Is it something that you all talk about amongst yourselves? We did. Um, we did. When I uh, first uh, came in the group, we, we talked a little bit of about our experiences. I don't think there's one um, minority kid that's playing hockey right there who has, hasn't, you know, faced racial remarks. And you look at that's uh, unreal. Yeah, I, it's unbelievable. If you just pick out any black or uh, visible minority player, um, he'll tell you some some type of story. It's uh, it's crazy how it's taken this long for us to talk about, but uh, we're finally here and we're talking about it. We're going to continue to talk about it, um, even though playoffs are still starting, even when playoffs stop. Uh, we're going to bring this up back up uh, next season. We're going to try to do a different initiatives. Um, we've had talks with the NHL. It's been mm-hmm. real positive and um, we're, we can only look forward from now. He smashed pretty much every billboard and streaming record that matters. It has already been streamed more than a billion times. Billion. People still to this day point to, this is the moment everything changed. But whether you agree with those claims or not, this podcast isn't really about him. Either you're not an astute businessman or you're inherently racist when it comes to black music in this country. This is not a Drake podcast. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. How committed do you think that the NHL is? Because right now we see a lot of, you know, businesses saying Black Lives Matter, but we're not even sure what they're actually going to end up doing. So, you know, you've been having talks with the NHL. How committed are they? Um, we're on the same page. It was uh, different tones of conversations, uh, I, I would say, um, from the first to the last conversation we had. Every conversation we had, though, I want to say, has been progressively positive. It's uh, having nine players, current players and former players, you know, make a, an alliance, make a group and, you know, meeting with the NHL. This is the first time it's ever happened. So to everyone, it's, it's, it's something new, but I think there's no other, you know, better representatives than us to talk about these issues, talk about these matters because we've lived through it. We did appreciate uh, obviously Matt Dumba leaving the, leading the way, Uh, on opening night there uh, with his speech. Racism is everywhere, and we need to fight against it. We will fight against injustice and fight for what is right. 
I hope this inspires a new generation of hockey players and hockey fans because black lives matter. Breonna Taylor's life matters. Hockey is a great game, but it could be a whole lot greater. And it starts with all of us. Are you sometimes worried about speaking too much or too loud? No, uh, not at all, to be honest. And uh, if I am, and if it does uh, affect my job, it's just proving my point even more, right? So I think at this point, um, I'd rather, you know, stand up for what's right than, you know, you know wor worry about, uh, you know, my personal income. To be honest, that's where I'm at. You know, what we've seen is white players come up as well and denounce the injustice. And so what does that mean to you to have your colleagues finally saying, we recognize it, we see it? What's changed in the locker room? It's huge. Well, for myself, um, you know, I haven't been back to the locker room uh, since March. Uh, that was our last game and we didn't make playoffs. So physically, mm -hmm. I haven't seen my teammates yet. But, uh, you know, we've had the conversations uh, via the group text. And I had, uh, you know, a couple ex-teammates of mine from different teams reach out. I think we've seen over 100 players around the league come out on social media, you know, recognizing what is going on in the world, recognizing things need to be changed in the culture of hockey. So I think that's huge, to be honest. And, you know, it resonates mm -hmm. a lot with all the black players in the league. Um, trust me, we've all read their, their statements uh, one by one. We, we appreciate their support. And uh, I think the more white players that come up, the more the message is going to get out. Your slogan with the Alliance is changing the face of hockey. So how do you guys hope to achieve that exactly? Well, like I said, our main focus is uh, the grassroots uh, development uh, with, with the younger kids. And the more we can affect these kids, the more minority kids uh, we can bring into the game. Um, I think that itself will, will change the hockey culture. But what needs to be done also inside the NHL? I'm, obviously, you know, we've been saying that there is racism. So is, should there be an education also done for the NHL players? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So when I meant uh, education for the kids, it's uh, at the NHL level too. So we need to go through okay. the NHL to, to affect these kids. So right, the NHL controls everything. Whatever policies we bring in, it's going to affect the NHL and that's going to sprinkle around, you know, the minor, the, the minor leagues uh, around Canada and around USA. Mm -hmm. Anthony, our show is called Seat at the Table. What does that expression mean to you? Just sitting down, talking, listening. I think uh, if, if everybody uh, does more listening, uh, more than talking at this point, You know, I am on, on social media and I do see, um, you know, a lot of comments and, and remarks and stuff. And it's just uh, you just want to shake your head and, um, you know, in disbelief, really. Um, you, you see you see a lot of love and support, but and then you see stop talking politics and, and stuff like that and all lives matter and, and all that. But these people that are saying these stuff, I mean, are obviously part of the problem. And, and these are the the fans that, number one, need to get educated. And if they don't want to get educated, then these are the type of fans that we want to eliminate from the game to allow the new generation to come in and, and, express, and express themselves how they may feel. 
You're the new generation. You're changing things. You're a unicorn uh, in the <laughs> NHL. And most importantly, you've made me look cool in the eyes of my 14-year-old nephew, Tristan. I appreciate that. Shout out to Tristan. Nice to meet you, bud. We'll be following you. And you've been an inspiration not only to Isabel and to myself, but to uh, countless others. And so for that, we, we really thank you. And we appreciate you took the time to speak with us today. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. It was awesome. Thank you. Merci. 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 Bye-bye. Bye. Anthony Duclair is a forward with the Ottawa Senators and the co-founder of the new Hockey Diversity Alliance. You can check them out at hockeydiversityalliance.org. Seat at the Table is hosted and produced by me, Martine Saint-Victor. And also by me, Isabelle Racicot. The show is also produced by Melissa Fundira, Eunice Kim and Justin Doucet. Our mixer is Crystal Duhem. Technical work this week by Steve Cote. Our senior producer is Tina Verma. And the executive producer of CBC Podcast is Arf Nurani. You can also reach us on Facebook at CBC Seat at the Table or tweet us. And don't forget to use the hashtag SeatCBC. That's right. Until next time, au revoir. Au revoir. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.